can. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Every race has winners. Come get your share. This is the Press Box. And it's neck and neck in the home stretch. The jockeys are tiny. The horses are big. Suspiciously big. Unnaturally big. Well, let's just say if you like your performance enhanced, we've got you covered. With Grady and Bischoff. Dramatically fewer fixed races. Not none, but that's why they call it gambling. On ESPN Las Vegas. We don't foresee any problems, but we'll admit it was a last-minute decision that didn't get discussed with the whole team. Hey, we're back. Long weekend. Done. Holiday weekend. Good to be back. Chicken races on deck. Can't wait. Really excited about that. Chicken races are here. Is that right? You better be excited about that. We already started them? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a that's a tease. That's that we're, tease. we're teasing. Chicken races. Get excited. We're teasing. What, yeah. a, <laughs> there's what a, lot of, a week. There's a lot of stuff near the end of the show I'm very excited about. We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> Do not miss the 9 o'clock hours. Yes. <laughs> the first two hours are not going to be really good, but the third hour is going to be a hell of an hour. Well, I might as well start it off. The first bite. Are the Raiders back? <laughs> They're tied for the last back playoff from spot. What? Is that right? Yes. Oh, do I have take. our voice guy saying no? Hot take. Cincinnati's the best team in the AFC. Oh, we're back on that. <laughs> we're, back, we're back on the Bengals, man. We're back on the Bengals. They are the best team in the AFC. Because they discarded the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger? No, because Tony Dungy said so on TV last night. <laughs> and you said, hey, I said that <laughs> I five said, weeks ago. I sat ago. there in the barking lounge and said, hey, come on, I'm way ahead of you, Dungy. So, all right, the AFC is, okay, it's kind of insane because the Ravens are in first place. Their record is 8-3. and three. The Raiders are in ninth place. Their record is six and five. Like there were two games separating first through ninth. Hell, there's two and a half games separating first through eleventh, where the Browns are, at six and six. Like it is as bunched up as you can pretty much have a division this late into the season. So right now, the Chargers technically occupy the last playoff spot at six and five. But the Broncos are also six and five. The Raiders are also six and five. Colts and Browns are six and six. And then just above them, Kansas City, Cincinnati, and Buffalo are all seven and four. Like the Raiders are, they're tied for the last playoff spot. They're one game out of the division lead. They're one game out of being the fourth best team in the AFC. They're also like a game and a half away from being the 13th best team in the division. So are they back? Probably not. Back from what though? Well, from being from being horrible. They had three, three weeks of being just awful. atrocious. Yeah. They're better than that. But are they back in terms of a playoff team? Probably not. But they're still, they've given themselves a chance. The hot start to the season allowed them to have three terrible weeks. And we're sitting here. They're six and five. They they still have a chance. They can still finish the, what, last seven games, six games of the season. And if they play well in the last six games, if they win, I don't know, four of those games, they're probably in the playoffs. Hell, they might be able to do it with just three. But if they go four and two down the stretch, they're probably a playoff team. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to go four and two against that schedule, though. Like, I'm holding out. Like, the schedule's really, really tough going down the end. And At what point do I we just say don't the schedule they're... doesn't matter? When they go four and two and make the playoffs. But I'm just saying, like, we look, we look, we last year, the last two years we've done this, where we said, uh-oh, they're off to a good start, and the schedule gets easier. And then they lose to all the bad teams on the end of the schedule. So you're saying this year it's going to be reversed and they're going to beat all the good teams. They just went and beat Dallas. I know Dallas didn't have any wide no. receivers, but they just went and beat Dallas. 
Like it's it's not like they were playing a bad team on Thanksgiving. They were playing what should have been one of the better teams in the NFC, and they went and beat them. So I like Ugh. I hear you. The schedule's tough. I I agree. You're gonna look at a lot of those games. I and just say, don't think they're a playoff team. I don't either. I don't think they are either. But they've at least given themselves the chance. They're in the position to do so, partially because they won on Thursday, but also because the division or excuse me the conference is as bunched up and bizarre as it possibly could be. I mean. It's Washington, Kansas City, the next two games. Yeah. Do I think they're winning both of those? Absolutely not. But if they win both of those, hell, they might be in the lead in the AFC West at that point. Yeah, I don't know who Kansas City gets this week, but they very Denver. well could. They Denver? play Denver. Winner of that game will be first place in the AFC West. Okay, so I imagine <laughs> Kansas City. Kansas City coming off a bye. I just don't. I Look, I was at the Dallas game. The best thing about that was Luke Combs at halftime. I mean, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Almost a four-hour game. Flags everywhere. Uh, you know what is not bizarre, but they're 3-0 and in overtime. That is That's actually bizarre. Yes. very weird. I mean, good for them. I mean, they, you know, I'm not ripping them for it. I mean, you know, it's better knowing 3-0 in overtime. But I don't even know. You might know. I don't know who's been 3-0 and in overtime probably not never, but in a long time, you don't really get that. Well, one, a lot of th- most teams don't get three overtime games in, the, in right. the same season, never mind being 3-0 and in all of them. Correct me if I'm wrong. They're 3-0 and in overtime, and the other team has had the ball in every single overtime, yes. right? Yes. That, yes. That's, that's probably the crazy yes. part, is that in overtime, where if you give up a touchdown, you lose. You lose right away. They've allowed the other team to have the ball in overtime all three times and have still managed and to won. win. And that's like, listen, as far as the playoffs go, that's part of the reason why you look at the Raiders and say they're not a playoff team. Because, yes, they're 6-5 and five right now, but they're legitimately, like, three plays away from having three more losses on the season. Derek Carr would tell you they're a few plays away from that is, having three sure, more wins. Sure, but they didn't lose any of those in overtime, which is where you're one play away at all times from losing. So, like, you look at the Raiders right here, and what's here's the fascinating part to me. We've talked so much about the defense being better. We've talked so much about the offensive line being a train wreck this year. They have no running game. Is it as simple as, hey, if Derek Carr plays well, the Raiders win? Well, they're 6-0 and when he play, throws for over 300 yards. They average 30-plus when he throws over 300 yards. And if he's bad, they lose. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose that's as simple as you can get until unless, uh, I mean, if he, if he plays well, they win the game. Yeah. I mean, it's, again... The defense has been improved and the offensive line's been a train wreck. There are other things that attribute to winning and losing a game. But when Derek Carr's been good, the Raiders score a lot of points and they end up winning the game. When Derek Carr's been bad, they've lost every single time yep. Derek Carr has had a bad game. And they've won every single time that he's played even relatively well. I mean, hell, some of those games earlier in the year, he was like bad in the first quarter. Like their offense was terrible, but second half and, and overtime, they kind of took off and were much better. So it's it's bizarre to think that everything else is kind of irrelevant, and then it just comes down to, hey, the defense is good enough that if Derek Carr is a good quarterback in a game, the Raiders win, and it's bizarre to think he's been this inconsistent, right? Like, he's been all over the place this year. He's had some really good games, what, four weeks, five weeks into the yeah, year? for a guy in his eighth year starting. Yeah. Four or five weeks into the year, it was, oh, does Derek Carr deserve right. some MVP consideration? And it wasn't just Dave, David and Darren Carr saying Three it. losses in a row. It's like, you know, that Mariota guy. Yeah. He might be able to come in and do some stuff. And then he's very good against Dallas. Yeah. And you're looking around saying, okay, what's what's happening here with Derek Carr that it is so all over the place from week to week with him? Because here's the thing. The offensive line 
it's not like the offensive line has gone from terrible to great to terrible right. to great. The offensive line has gone from terrible to bad. Right. Right. They've been bad the entire season. The defense, I mean, they've, they've kind of held on. They've they've taken a step back yeah. from earlier in but, the year, but it's still good enough. I still think it's good enough to win games. Right. But Derek Carr is the one that has been all over the map, and that's bizarre to think because he'd be the he was probably the main thing going into this year that you thought, yeah, that's we know what we're getting out of right. Derek Carr. Right. And you don't know what you're getting out of Derek Carr this year. It's sometimes he's awesome. And sometimes he's like the worst player on the field. Did you like the fact that Mariota comes in at the goal line and Dallas has no idea what they're doing? Yeah. Uh, that, 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 uh, RPO little RPO action where he went and they looked like they had no idea. It's like they knew he was in the game. What did they think he was going to yeah. do? Here, here's a pro tip. If Mariota comes in the game, they're going to run the zone read. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was they're just going to run the zone read. It was bizarre, and he just he just waltzed in. And we're sitting in the press box, you know, looking at each other, saying, "I don't know what Dallas was thinking." I mean, I assume they knew he was in the game. Now maybe they didn't know he was in the game and said, "Well, the car guy's not running, so we might as well, you know, key on Jacobs." It was listen, Mariota's in the game. They're running the zone read, and he might pull it and take off for however many yards they need. But it worked. If you're oh, the I'm glad they finally put him yeah. in. I was so tired of hearing these packages about Marcus Mariota and never seen any. So when he came in the game, I'm like, thank God you're finally putting this guy in. Let's see one of these quote-unquote packages, even though we already know there's one play in the package. <laughs> <laughs> runs his own read and either, either hands it off or he takes it. And then, you know, and Dallas is kind of looking at each other and Derek Carr's running on the field and high-fiving him. They're saving the play-action pass. For later in the season with, with Marcus Mariota, yep, they're saving well, it for they're saving it for Kansas City in two weeks. The Deshaun Jackson is going to be open by like <laughs> seventy yards because no one's going to believe this guy's actually throwing the ball. Well, no, they're, they're, you think it's going to be Deshaun Jackson? It's going to be like Foster Moreau that's running out there. Are you kidding me? They're not doing it to Deshaun. Yeah, Jackson. Deshaun Jackson will, for some reason, have ran out of bounds. Yes, <laughs> it'll be Foster Moreau. We're like, hey guys, nobody covered me. They thought I was a left tackle again. Um, it is, yeah, they finally used him and it worked. And they should probably keep doing that uh, short yardage and red zone situations because you can't get much worse than what the Raiders have been in those scenarios. How about Darren? You mentioned, you uh, mentioned Foster Moreau. I don't think he's going to miss time, but I don't think it's good if Darren Waller misses time. Do we know what an IT band strain is? No. All I know is that after halftime, he had shorts on. Yeah. So, I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. We got the reports after the game on Thursday that he strained his IT band. And then it was, it's, it's a knee injury, okay. right? And, and all, the, all the reports were, is that, Hey, this is good news because it was right. a knee. And yeah. It, it wasn't it, like an ACL. It could have been an ACL. Right. But nobody said, Hey, he might miss this amount of time. It was just, yeah, he strained his IT band. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I've never, I've never heard of I've somebody heard of injuring IT their band. IT band. Is he still done for the season, or is this like, a, oh yeah, he's back on the field in five days. He didn't seem like on the, on the. Uh, sideline. Even when the game was tight in overtime, we I had uh, had the binoculars cued in on. Him. He was he was laughing and high fiving guys and like joking around. He did he didn't give off the impression that a guy that thought the IT band's going to keep him out more than a week. He probably didn't even know what that. All he wanted to know when he went in is it an ACL or MCL? No, it's your IT band. That sounds better. I'll be fine. Let me put some shorts on. Yeah, can we just you know unplug it and plug it back in? Yeah, I mean, I, have you ever heard of it? Yes. Never heard, yes. Oh, you have. Yeah, of course. I've had I've had multiple knee problems. That's yes, right. of course. That's right. It's no, a thing. I've never that, heard of it. It goes from like the out, it's on the outside of your leg that it goes from like your hip to your knee. Yeah, basically. Okay. 
Well, he didn't seem concerned. He was laughing the entire time on the on the sidelines, so he didn't seem that concerned about it. All right. Hopefully, he's fine. I mean, yeah. I I, I guess the good news is it's not an ACL. I, but again, do you have any idea how long you're out when you strain your IT band, Doctor Jared? No, because okay. that's, they, that's because what nobody has said. That's the thing that they one of the first things they eliminated. <laughs> Was their like, IT band yeah. is fine. Yeah, when they everything else is when crazy. they went in for the exploratory surgery, that one of the theories they had was that my IT band had fused to the back of my kneecap, and it was something else that fused to the back of my kneecap. Yeah, neither of those sound very good. Do you want another doctor's opinion? Yeah, the IT band stretches from the hip to the knee. It tugs on the outside of the knee. Only way to work the IT band is with a foam roller. It is very painful when it is tight. Dr. Pops Ramirez. Ramirez, yes. Yes, Dr. Pops Ramirez. So he's really. Willie, that still doesn't tell me how no, long uh, yeah, he's how out. How long is he I don't be need the recovery he, time with the foam pad. Is he at his house right now, like rolling on a pad? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to, I mean. Come on, doctor. How do long I, is that? How long are you out? Do I need to pick up Foster Moreau in fantasy football? Yes or no? That's what I want to know. That's true. Yeah. That's all I need to know. Coming up next, man, UNLV football. They even show up for their last game of the year? And here we go. High end over end kick. It'll be taken at the one-yard line by Steve Jenkins, who brings it out to the 15, and the ball is loose on the field. It looks like Air Force has it. So the Rebels have fumbled the opening kickoff, and that's the way this one starts. One Brian under, court, under center now. Hands off to Michael. Michael finds a hole through the right side. He may go. He's at the 30. He's at the 20 on the far sideline. He's at the 5. And finally, he is pushed out right before he got in. That is about a 65-yard run right there. And the Rebel, who finally caught up to him, showing great speed to catch up to him and save the touchdown was Ricky Johnson. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. UNLV lost the final game of the season to Air Force 48-14. Air Force did not have to pass in the entire game. They ran for 511 yards. Um, Got to establish the run. Do you think, is it an indictment on Arroyo if a team that's two and nine, I mean, season's over, you're not playing for anything. Air Force isn't like a rival. There's no real, you know, reason to be pumped to beat Air Force or try to beat Air Force. Do you think it's a big deal? Is it an indictment on Arroyo that they no showed in the final game of the season? Yeah, I think it's an indictment on the entire coaching staff that they couldn't get him up. And they, that's even, that's kind to say no show. They weren't there no, at that was, all. That was, that was embarrassing. They I mean, fumbled the opening yeah, kickoff. I mean, they had no focus. <laughs> we don't that want was, this. That was them being two and nine, having to travel, having to play the option, and just you know being not even being there physically or mentally. I mean, I watched it and they just rolled over. Yeah. It's one thing to go and. Look, I mean, Air Force can do that to you. Air Force is really good, and they can, and they've done that to people. So there's different ways. This sounds silly, but there are different ways to lose 48-14 to Air Force when you put effort in and you actually show up. This was the exact opposite of that. Yeah, they got they got destroyed, and they weren't they weren't there. I don't think they were there at all. Yeah, like it was a pathetic yeah. appearance. Now, it's a football team that's two and nine. 
They have literally nothing to play for. It's the final game of the season. And again, you're playing an option team that you don't really, it's not a rival by any means. Like it's not like you're getting up anything special for it. So I understand why they wouldn't be there. I just, I don't know how big of a deal it is to not show up. I feel like it should be a big deal because you get 12 of those every single year. And you got people like Charles Williams, who have been here for more than half a decade. And that's the last game he plays is a game where the rest of the team just is non-existent. So it does feel like a big deal, and they end up the season two and ten. So two and ten this year. Marcus Arroyo's two and sixteen through two seasons as UNLV's head coach. That is the worst win percentage by any UNLV coach through their first two seasons. Had he won on Saturday or on Friday, he would have not been the worst. Uh, Marcus Arroyo, though, has been paid three million dollars over the last two seasons, the most any UNLV coach has made in his first two seasons. He took over a program that had won 17 games in the previous four years. That was the second most or second best span of four seasons by wins in the last 30 years of UNLV football. I mean, these two years have been a catastrophic failure, yeah. right? Is there any, is there any, like what, how are we giving Arroyo a break or are we not giving him any break at all for what the last two seasons have been? Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, based on this, for every spring practice he gets, he gets two wins. So by the time <laughs> year four or five rolls around, team's going to be good. Team's going to be bowling. Well, I said it before. Everyone had to deal with COVID. He was not original in that fact, but he was a first year coach taking over program, trying to put everything in. So I'm, I've always given him a little leeway in that, in the COVID year because he was a first time coach. Had it been Tony Sanchez in his sixth year and they did that, then I wouldn't have given any leeway because everything was established. But this year, really showed a lot of things and none of and very few of them were good. I thought they improved defensively. We're going to talk about uh, that in a few minutes in terms of who they've already lost defensively. I did think they were better defensively, but the whole quarterback situation, not knowing who your quarterback is from the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. switching them all around, one gets hurt. I mean, and you can't look, you can't avoid getting hurt or kids getting hurt. I understand that. But this was a complete failure for a second year. To go two and ten in the second year to me is a complete failure. So I don't know what they're going to do going forward, but you know we and the, the the key thing here. One of the key things here is who's the athletic director? Good question. I, I mean, I I don't know. <laughs> is it going to be the interim? Uh, they said um, Whitfield said that he wanted a new athletic director in by the spring. I don't know what that that could be. March, April, May. I, I don't even know what that means. And it might be the interim guy. I'd love to know what the interim. Um, athletic director thinks of this football program and this football coach because he was the athletic director this year watching all of this. Yeah. I don't think you can think very highly of it. Why? There's not much to think highly yeah. of at this point. Now, Jacoby Wyndham is transferring. Uh, that was UNLV's best defensive player. He led the team in tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, and forced fumbles on the season. Basically did it all for UNLV defensively. Uh, I would say Jacoby Wyndham transferring is a bigger loss than any single game they had this year because... This year was a lost season, and next year they actually need to try to be good, and Jacoby Wyndham would have helped that. To me, this is brutal for Marcus Arroyo because Jacoby Wyndham is really good. Like, that's a, that's a guy who's been really good this season for UNLV, and Marcus Arroyo couldn't convince him to stay. Mm-hmm. 
and he was transferring out. He's what said announced it yesterday on Sunday. He's, he's about forty eight hours, two yeah. days after the season after ends. the season ends, he's gone. Which leads you to believe there wasn't a whole lot of oh, I need to sit down and think about this. This was oh, he was thinking about it before the season was over that he was ready to get out of UNLV. This is the problem for Marcus Arroyo. Anything that he's sort of built up, anything that you walk away from this season looking back and saying, oh, that was good. Maybe it'll carry over to next year. Charles Williams gone. Charles Williams had hands down the most carries on the team, 254. Doug Brumfield had the second most carries on the team with 19 19. this season. Charles Williams is gone. The main guy who picked up yards for this offense is gone. And now the leading tackler, tackle for loss, sacks, and forced fumble guy on the defense is gone. Like Marcus Arroyo's team next year is going to have to find new players that are going to actually be good just to replicate the two and 10 record, let alone be better than the two and 10 record. And you look out then you say, all right, where are they? I don't know that they exist. Well, I have no idea if they exist because no one else carried the ball. (laughs) So he might have a great running back behind Charles Williams, but he didn't let him play very much. Uh, I, you're what is it? Two and sixteen, two and eighteen, two and sixteen. I think, games. and I'm sorry, you're getting three million over the last two seasons. I don't know who the AD is, but I'd expect him to contend for a bowl game. And if not, next year, yes, then you have to take a hard look at things. I'm I think sorry. that is a completely fair assessment because, again, Marcus Arroyo is the highest paid football coach in UNLV history. He took over a program that had won at least four games in four straight seasons. Right? That's not some massive accomplishment. Right? Four win seasons are not good. But Tony Sanchez had UNLV close to a bowl game, mm-hmm. right? They were they were almost there four straight years. Marcus Arroyo took it and just threw all of that away. And now we're starting from a zero win and now a two-win team. Highest paid coach took over a program that wasn't awful. Like, it wasn't good, but it wasn't like a, just a dead, sunken uh, program. It should not be, oh, a complete rebuild by year three. We're hoping to get back to four wins right. where you were when Tony Sanchez was fired. By by year two, they should have been competing for a bowl game, right? And in year three, they should absolutely be competing for a bowl game. And if I'm whoever the new AD is, that to me is I'm walking in saying you better go to a bowl game. Yeah. It might not be the ultimatum of hey, bowl game or you're fired because hey, no, you get, but you better be. You get to five the wins. That's season, probably fine. The last week of the season, you better be at five and six playing right. for it. So like, yeah, if it's if it's if a it's team another two or three win season, I think he's done. I think you have to fire him at that point and say, "Listen, that's that's three years that you just wasted of this right. program. Three years, new stadium, new facilities, good recruiting class, and you just threw it all away." If they're two or three wins next year, just threw it all away. If that's where they are, I think it has to be something close to a bowl game. Coming up next, Mike Gramala joins the show. Cam McCabe. McCabe comes right side. McCabe bounce pass to a cutting Hamilton for the slam dunk. Heck of a find there by Jordan McCabe, but again, great job by Bryce Hamilton not stand in the corner to be active and to make that baseline cut. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Mike Gramala. All right, Mike. 2-9 2-9 and nine, UNLV goes to Air Force final game of the season and is a complete no-show, doesn't force Air Force to throw a single pass. Understandable or an indictment of Marcus Arroyo? I think I would have to say partially under, like 51-49 uh, in favor of understandable just because <laughs> that, it's a long season. They didn't really, you know, one of the 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 
defining traits of the season was that the team really didn't give up when they should have. You know, they they had that streak where they just kept losing by one score over and over again, where they just kept giving away games. And sometimes it was coaching, sometimes it was uh, turnover. Just every week they found a way to lose by one, and you kept waiting for them. Okay, when are they going to give up? Because the season is clearly over. And they didn't. Um, they they laid down at Reno, which was pretty bad. And then the final game of the season, you're two and nine. Who wants to go up to Air Force in a totally meaningless game and defend that option for 60 minutes? Like you, you kind of knew before the game what was going to happen, uh, and that's what happened. So I would say probably 51, 49, 49, understandable. You don't want to see it happen. You kind of wish that the coaches could get through to them and have them show up for that game, but uh, no, they clearly did not want to play that game. Yeah, and. Here's the thing, though. On that 49%, I think what you just said was that's the indictment on him. He couldn't get them up. Um, it sounds crazy, and I said this before. I know this sounds a little crazy, but there's ways to lose 48-14, and they lost the worst way. If you just go up there and you're not as good, which you're not, but you know you play your butts off and you can tell you can tell how hard they're playing and the Air Force is just better and they, and they run you out, that's one thing. But I thought they lost in the worst way where you go up there and you just roll over and you don't show up at all. You fumble the opening kickoff and it's downhill. You know, it's it, it's down from there. So I think the 49 percent comes from he didn't get them up. And and that's an indictment on his his staff. Never mind just him. I can't I can't believe that that the coaches didn't see that coming. Like they had to know what was going to happen, especially when they take the temperature of the team before the game. I'm sure if they took a poll you know, uh, uh, an anonymous poll of the locker room, you know, 30 minutes before kickoff. Hey, do you guys want to play today or do you just want to fly home? I'm sure they would have just chosen to fly home, <laughs> but you can't really do. So what do you do? You, you can't do that. You have to go out and play the game. So you fumble the opening kickoff. Um, you get strip sacked on your second possession. Um, you botch a field goal on your third possession. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, there's not really much to dissect in that game. Like you said, Ed, you, you can accept the blowout, if you put a little more heart into it, if you're playing hard, that was for, if you, you know, sort of make air force do something to beat you that badly, but they didn't really, I mean, air force could have called the same play. They could air force could have gone into that game with a one play playbook and won by the same 48 to 14 score. So yeah, that was a, for a season that was maybe more encouraging than their, their record through the first 11 games. And you kind of maybe felt good going into the off season that one game did a lot to really um, take away your optimism heading into the offseason. And then with Jacoby Winman following it up two days later, uh, transferring out, it's, it's, it, things have taken a turn uh, in, in the, the wrong direction at the end of the year. What does it say about Arroyo and the program that Jacoby Windham was a really good defensive player for UNLV, maybe one of the best defensive players they've had in a decade or more, and two days after the season ends, he is saying, I'm not sticking around, I'm I think the biggest statement that it makes is, um, you know, whenever, you know, Marcus Arroyo or uh, another team leader or someone, if we ask them this offseason, hey, what do you think about next year? And they say, oh, we're going to be better. We expect to make a bowl game or we expect this or we expect that. He clearly does not expect that. He expects this team to be terrible next year, and he was not going to stick around for it. That's the biggest thing I took from it. Um, I haven't spoken to Jacoby Winman, but clearly he is better than a two and ten team. The kid is—he was great. He's their best player, bar none. He's better than Charles Williams. He's better than anyone on the offensive side. He's better than anyone on the defensive side. He was the best player on the team. They just went two and ten, and he said, 
I don't want to do that again. I think it's going to happen again next year. I can play for a better team, and I think that's what he did. So it kind of undercuts any sort of message of optimism that you're going to hear in the offseason. So next year is going to be a prove-it-all-over-again year. You really can't go in, you know, buying into the optimism, which is a shame because this team did show you a lot of good traits. Um, but, yeah, it's been a really bad uh, last few days for them. No idea who the AD is going to be, but no matter who it is, what should be the expectations? What if he doesn't go to a bowl game? What if he is at three or four wins? What would you do? Anything less than a bowl game is going to put him on the the hot seat, obviously. Uh, You can't go three years at at really any program. I mean, if you walk into a zero-win program, maybe they'll give you a fourth year without a bowl game. Um, But he didn't do that. He walked into a program that was sort of on the cusp of a bowl game. I heard you guys talking before the break, and it's exactly right. Like Tony Sanchez was not, uh, didn't have the programs uh, up at the top of the Mountain West, but they weren't horrible. They weren't the worst team in the league either. Um, so for Marcus Sorrell to go into year three now, and yeah, it's I new AD coach who has not shown a lot of success. Good players fleeing the program. I would say anything short of a bowl game is definitely going to uh, set things in motion in terms of the coaching carousel here. All right, UNLV basketball, better or worse than you expected so far this year? About about what I expected, I would say. Uh, that's I guess I, I don't think that's a cop out. Uh, they're beating the the no name teams on the schedule. They they can't score against quality opponents. I think we all kind of saw that coming. Um, so maybe when they get into Mountain West play, they'll be able to win more games than they lose just based on defense and toughness and we'll make our free throws and we'll hold you to 55 points and maybe that's enough to get them through a a 500 or better season but i think this is isn't this exactly what we expected coming into the year yeah for the most part yeah i think they're worse offensively than i expected it's i'll today are worse offensively than i expected but i i'm i'll give them a something of a I'll give them a longer leash on that side of the ball just because I could see that getting better as the year goes on, just as players get used to each other and maybe shots start falling because they've had, they've got some decent shooters who are not making three pointers. So maybe that comes around at some point. Um, I don't think guys are going to shoot, you know, sub 20% from three for the entire year. So maybe that, that, that ticks up a little bit, but I think this is probably a team that you thought it was going into the year. I mean, I'm not just, I'm just not ready to say they're a good shooting team. I think they're one of those teams, and there are t- other teams in the Mountain West where there's going to be nights where they make everything and beat someone they shouldn't, and then there's going to be nights like they looked the other day and probably more of the latter. Exactly. And that's kind of the the, the point of building a, a team that relies on defense is that it's supposed to be consistent night in, night out, no matter the venue, no matter the opponent no matter the style of play, you're supposed to be able to rely on your defense to keep you in games. And so that when you do have a good shooting night and Bryce Hamilton, you know, makes half of his threes, you can beat pretty much anyone. That's sort of the the point of doing it this way while you're rebuilding. And then as you rebuild, maybe instead of getting guys who are only good at defense, maybe uh, once you show that you're a program on the way up and that Kevin Kruger is a good coach, maybe you have some players who are good at defense and good at offense. And, you know, you raise the overall level. So um, I think what they're doing right now is fine. It's fun to watch if you're into that, if you're into, you know, this, the team competing and the guys playing hard. And that's all been good so far. So, um, yeah, that's it, it, it's sort of the point of how they're doing it. 
We've had a few different players. I know Bryce Hamilton, Jordan McCabe, and I think Mike Nuga even have mentioned the NCAA tournament and that that's what they wanted to do. Uh, do you think they need to win one of these two games this week on the road in, or they're in danger of maybe like losing some of the attention of these players? Because if they lose these next two, there's basically no shot at the NCAA tournament until the Mountain West tournament. Uh, if I don't know. I think that the players, they're not going to say anything else. Like they're not going to come in and say, oh, we don't expect to make the NCAA tournament. And, you know, even though we just have one year left in our college careers, we came here to not make the NCAA tournament and we're okay with that. So of course they're going to keep saying that. And then even if they lose both of these road games, I mean, they're already pretty much out of it in the at large, you know, they're not going to be an at large NCAA team, but you know, even if that door closes to them emphatically to the point where they can't deny it, they still get the mountain West season and the mountain West tournament. So, um, no, I don't think you're going to see a drop off in those guys. They're, they're playing uh, hard. Even if they lose these games, I think you can, I think Mike Nuga, I think Royce Ham, I think those guys will look around the mountain West and say, Hey, you know, slow start to the season. But if we play well, we can still beat any of these teams on any given day. So I, I think that the mountain West will, We'll see how it goes when conference season starts. I expect them to match up better against a, a lot of these teams, obviously, more so than a Michigan or a UCLA. Well, and what about the Nougas and, and the Hams and the guys who only have this year? Uh, let's say that you know they're going down the stretch and they have to win the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Are these the kind of kids who are going to play for, they want to be seen for the you know whatever comes next, whether it's you know Europe, wherever they could play? I mean, would they play hard for that sense? Well, for Royce Ham, I mean, definitely, this is a kid who never got a chance to play at Texas. He was, uh, as Kevin Kruger likes to point out, he was, for four years, he sat behind, like, four different uh, NBA draft picks at center. Like, he could never get on the court, so he's finally getting a chance to play. I think he'd be happy, you know, uh, playing anywhere, just the, now that he's got 25, 30 minutes a night guaranteed. Um, Mike Nuga is a kid who is coming off a torn ACL. His college career was almost over last year. You know, he could have missed this entire season. Um, but he's back and he's playing hard. I think that's one of the things that Kruger sort of targeted in his recruiting was guys with effort and intensity. And you're seeing it now, like they don't have anyone who really doesn't play hard, which you couldn't always say in recent years, there were guys who had to be motivated and the coaches had to get on them to give their all on defense or to give their all in transition. And I think that's one thing you, pro- you you can worry about Ham and Nuga making shots, but I don't think you have to worry about them playing hard, even if they're, um, you know, going into UNLV football style uh, road game at Air Force to end the year. I think those guys will still play hard as opposed to um, you don't have to worry about them. What did you eat for Thanksgiving in Colorado? Uh, sort of uh, disappointed. There was a Ruby Tuesday across the street from my hotel, so I went there. And I got some takeout. I got a cheeseburger, and I got a dessert. Uh, what was no. on the cheeseburger? Cheese. <laughs> is, is that why do we have to ask? You know that you know what was on it. It's cheese. Just so you have to say it out loud. I actually am am uh, a little surprised that there was cheese on it, and not just hamburger. No, I like I like cheese. Cheese is okay in most of its forms. Um, really, really only American cheese and cheddar cheese. I don't really think I've ever had anything, any other type of cheese besides that. What Um, was, what was the dessert? The dessert was a, uh, like warmed up with uh, a scoop of ice cream. What was, hold on, we we lost you for a second. What was warmed up? What was warmed up? 
a cookie. It was like a chocolate chip cookie that was like warmed up oh, and soft. Yes. Yes. And then there was like a scoop of ice cream that came with it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Which is good. I mean, it's not it's not a traditional Thanksgiving meal, I guess, but what are you gonna do? I mean, do you eat traditional Thanksgiving meals? I eat turkey and uh you know, like mashed potatoes and a couple of vegetables usually on Thanksgiving. You know, if I'm at home and it's all on the out on the spread. So <laughs> This wasn't that. This wasn't that. This was a very sad Ruby Tuesday at like 1 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. All right. He's Mike Grimala from the Las Vegas Sun eating a th- sad Thanksgiving dinner. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Bye. I wanted to ask him about uh, my our man being 6-0 and and getting Memphis. Who's our man? TJ. Oh, Otzelberger. Yes, yeah, TJ. He's beat back-to-back top 25 teams with Iowa yeah. State. Wow. Good coach. Well, they're six and zero. They won yeah. two uh, two games all of last year, and he got Memphis, so he's doing pretty well. I here's the thing with Otzelberger. I always thought coaching wise, I mean, he thinks of basketball the same way I do. So I love that part of it. He did a horrible job bringing in a roster last year for UNLV. That's where his biggest flaw was. I don't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've watched Iowa State, but I have to imagine he's got guys that are more athletic than Devin Tillis playing it for him at Iowa State. He's got guys that might be able to jump and touch the rim. So yeah, six and zero. Pretty good. You watch out. And here's the thing. In the Big 12, I think they were picked to finish last. He might go 11-1 oh, and one in non-conference yeah. play and finish and, and last o in the Big 12. 0-15 <laughs> or whatever it is in the Big 12. All right. Coming up next, hey, the Golden Knights lost to the Oilers. Stevenson stripped away. and Look out. Here come the Oilers. It's a two-on-one. Right side. Nugent Hopkins scores. Off the left post and in. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. His second goal of the year. And it's 1-0 Edmonton. 2.10 to go, first period. And now it's a takeaway. Off to the races goes Zach Hyman. He shoots, he scores! The Knights did everything they could to slow down Hyman. Hyman somehow escaped and put it in on the backhand at the left post. Zach Hyman makes it 2-0 Oilers. Oilers prevail. And now here's another pass. Behind the D, a chance. Score! Yossi Pulley-Arvey. 3-0 Oilers. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Hey, coming up later in the show, we got tickets to give away to the Golden Knights and Stars on December 8th. But they lost over the weekend to the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> Every time we have giveaway. Press box. <laughs> oh, man. Press box. Transition. They don't play the Oilers when we're giving away tickets, so they might win. Uh, but the Golden I'm pretty sure we gave away too. tickets to the Oilers. We did. We probably did. Um, all right. First off, Golden Knights are six points behind Edmonton in the Pacific. Uh, they're still in fourth place. They're only a point behind Anaheim. Six points isn't too big of a gap. I think they're they're fine where they are, given that they still are not at full strength. Here's what I thought was the biggest. Uh, deal in the Golden Knights loss to the Oilers. Not the actual result, but that Connor McDavid did not have a point in that game and that Connor McDavid had one shot on yeah. goal against the Golden Knights. And here's some numbers for you. Braden McNabb, when he was on the ice with Connor McDavid, that he was on the ice for more than 13 minutes with Connor McDavid. Basically, when McDavid was out there, Braden McNabb was on the ice. The Golden Knights had a 69% advantage in Corsi and an nice. 88% advantage in expected goals. When Braden McNabb and Connor McDavid shared the ice, the Golden Knights were the better team. They controlled shots. They controlled possession. They controlled high danger chances. That is 
phenomenal. Like, if we're talking about a playoff matchup, if the Golden Knights can put Braden McNabb out there and not just slow down but shut down Connor McDavid, they're going to win a playoff series against Edmonton if Braden McNabb can do that. It was amazing. I was listening to it on the way home when they said, at that point, Connor McDavid, it was going into the third period, had his one shot. And they mentioned two other players, both of who scored, who had each had six and five shots. And as I'm driving, I'm like, good for them. Who in the, who in the world are those guys? <laughs> That's half the reason I, like, I played those goals because exactly. I was like, I like who? Because, you know, Dreisel and, and McDavid, that's all you ever hear about yeah. with that team. That's they, Every night, I look at box scores, and there they are. They're either getting assists or they're scoring. Um, Dave Shane had a great tweet before the game. Chandler Stevenson leads the Golden Knights with 19 points. Dreisel has 20 goals. <laughs> I mean, so when you see that, you're like, they're too amazing. I mean, if you had told Pete DeBoer before that game, neither of those guys are getting a point, you okay? You think you win? You got a chance? Yeah, you think you're shutting them out. And you're down 3-0. Yeah, you think you're shutting them out. So yeah. the other this was that the Golden Knights top two lines they had Pacioretty Stevenson Stone which is even though they still got injuries that is legitimately the Golden Knights top line Marcheseau Waugh Smith which obviously you're missing William Carlson but is still it's a solid line both of those lines played at least seven minutes against Connor McDavid at five on five all of them had at least a 60 percent Corsi and a 75 percent expected goals so when they were on the ice against Connor against McDavid. McDavid yes so Braden McNabb plus one of the top two lines against Connor McDavid slowed them down. What happened a lot in that game is that the Oilers' depth, their third and fourth one lines, out over whatever, the beat Knights the Golden depth. Knights' third and fourth line, which is, I think, if you're the Golden Knights right now, perfectly fine because who the hell is your third and fourth lines right, right now? Like right. you're still injured to a point where okay, when you get fully healthy, your third and fourth lines are going to yeah, be guys gonna drop that down slide and be fine. down the line. Yeah, so. I think like that game, yes, it's a loss. They're six points back in the in the Pacific. Like you're still not in a great position playoff wise. It's November 29th. No. But I think if we're looking ahead towards Hanukkah has started. If we're looking ahead towards like That's a nice. hey, this could be a playoff matchup. I think you walk away from this one game feeling really good yeah. about the way the Golden Knights played and about the way they slowed down McDavid uh and Dreisidel. Like really good about it because he did nothing in that game, and it was the Golden Knights' legitimate best players that slowed them down, and you lost because Brett Howden wasn't very good.